I'm lifting the scripture for our admonition from the book of 2 Kings chapter 20. And we won't spend too much time on the life and times or the character traits of the king. Hezekiah, however, was a righteous king. Up until this moment, he had done what was right in the sight of God. But the prophet uh, is going to come and give him a word. It's as I have spoken in years past, all the kings had an appointed prophet. And it seems to me that everyone needs a prophet of the Lord in their life. In those days, Hezekiah was very ill, and he did want to know um, the result of his illness. God sent Isaiah to him, and the Lord spoke through Isaiah and gave him a gift, the gift. We don't think this is a gift because in our minimal and temporal mind, We often think this is a judgment. The greatest gift you could ever receive as a, as a, um, in this temporal human life is to know when you're going to die. If, if you knew you were going to die soon, you'd go ahead and buy the sports car. (laughs) Whatever. Um, If you knew you had 50 years left to live, you might invest differently. But to know when that day is, it would cascade into a myriad of decisions that you would make that would affect your present day. If you knew you weren't going to live long, go ahead and eat the cheesecake. It doesn't matter. Um... But we don't see that as a gift. We see it as a judgment. And that's exactly how Hezekiah saw it. And it disturbed him. He turned his face to the wall and cried out to God. Now, here is the gift. Set your house in order because you're not going to live. But I just want to lift from that scripture the first phrase of setting his house in order. I'm in your script, and I'll just do this a little bit, um, just because it bears reading. Within the law of Moses came a clarity of living and of conduct. God gave these instructions, and his instructions did not leave anything out. Marriage, home, family, um, weddings, cattle, oxen, how the government ought to operate. And this was, a, this was not a, a governmental rule as, as we would know it, but, but the laws of governing uh, how property ought to be managed and, and how they ought to work and even how they ought to rest. Nothing was, was left out. The Bible offers a comprehensive pattern of living for all ages. We don't know that because many of us um, uh, read the Bible and sometimes it's conflicting to us. It's a, it's, a, it's a massive book and sometimes it's complex. So we need help. And, and this spans all creeds, cultures, languages, peoples, times. The Bible is applicable to every person in the whole world. Um, I, I, I did offer this, that holiness is still a separation from the world. Godliness is still the ongoing pursuit of 
purity. This is all found in the scripture. So setting your house in order is not confined to the physical home where we live, but it is expansive. It's both thought, physical, spiritual, relational, internal. Setting, in this case tonight and as we move forward, is a pragmatic approach with spiritual blessings and spiritual overtones. But it's also a spiritual result in natural blessings. So there's two sides to this. It's the natural and the spiritual. And both weigh upon each other and both affect each other for the good or bad. It's all-encompassing of life set or it's an intentional thing. It's deliberate. It's thoughtful. It's a review. It's the process of looking or seeing clearly, doing what's required to achieve the proper order. I'm going to go quickly here because we have a lot of information. If you agree with what I'm saying, you can nod, or if you're confident, you can nod off. Whatever. Um, So setting your house in order is not just the physical place, though we'll talk about that. But the house is you also. So there's the natural, there's the spiritual, there's the internal, there's the character. It's not just who you are, but everything that you touch, setting it in order. Um, it's a pragmatic approach. It's a, it's a clarity. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing. So within that uh, arena, we will launch into setting our house in order. And I'm going to work with sevens. And I'll have seven sevens, and, and we'll begin with this word set, setting something in order. Now, I have to tell you that um, today's Wednesday, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the Lord awakened me very, very early in the morning, and, um, and, and the Lord imparted to me everything that I'm going to share with you. And the first two mornings, it was, there was great impartation. And the third morning, um, I started to type as fast as the Lord spoke. And uh, went through a whole pot of coffee, made another one. Finally woke up the dogs. They didn't want to wake up. And, um, and so here we are tonight. This is, in the next three weeks and four, uh, the fourth is, is a, is a wrap-up discussion, is the most comprehensive lesson that I think I've taught in almost 24 years. And I don't know if I'll get through it all, but we'll work, we're working on it. And if you will do this, um, if, you'll, if you'll pay attention and have, and have your mind focused and you'll, you'll apply what's being taught, there'll be a change in your life when you're done. Now, you won't get done in three weeks. You won't complete it. But it'll be an ongoing pursuit of changing your way and setting your house in order. Now, one of the sevens is very difficult for me. It's, I, I, in fact, the, when, when I get to that, I'll tell you um, that we are all failing except for a handful of people. Um, and I will join the rest of you as a hypocrite. Um, uh, because the Bible will expose all of us and we'll, we'll say, man, I wish we would, wouldn't have heard that one. But, but this is how it goes because the Bible does do this to us. And, of course, um, uh, I'm 55. And those things go together. Uh, readjusting your life is an arduous task. 
Uh, it's not for wimps. It's not for people that are, um, um, that are lazy or apathetic. Um, it's easier to complain about where you are than to adjust or to make a change to be where you need to be. Uh, more than, than, than not, um, people learn how to cope. Everyone say cope. People learn how to cope Instead of have vic- instead of victory, it, coping is is a human equivalent, is the human equivalent to a lack of faith and a lack of working on ourselves. Coping, and our our uh, culture has taught us how to cope and encouraged us to cope. Uh, in brief, we learn to live with it, whatever it means, and we learn to live with it, and we talk to each other and. And describe to this, I just learned how to live with it. And we cope through life. That's not the plan of God. He meant for us to be conquerors. And even the scripture would say, more than a conqueror. So, I'm not into coping. I'm into victory. Now, I'm not trying to invoke a response from you. But I I would tell you that it's not in me to learn how to cope with issues. Nor do I live in the shallows. So I want to go to the deep and I want to deal with all the roots so that there is a change. You can color your hair any color you want, but the root stays the same. Given enough time, uh, whatever you decided you wanted to be that day, given enough time, the root will be exposed. Thoreau was a famous philosopher. Thoreau says, a thousand chops at the leaves, one cuts the root. So a lot of people live trimming the leaves. Many, many people do. They tend to the leaves because they want to manipulate the leaves. But if you want to deal with the issue, you go to the root. And the root is where it all begins, the root. Amen. Praise God. I can feel the excitement just bubbling in this room. Um, So here we go, the seven sevens and and. If, if you are, if you're into real divine spiritual giftings and, and, and spiritual insight, we'll get there. But I want you to know that there are, that there are multiple facets of your life that lead to your spiritual experience in God. And some of those things that lead to your spiritual experience of God don't look spiritual. Amen. And we're going to get there as fast as we can. Okay, are you ready? So here is our first of the seven. And this is the natural or pragmatic lifestyle or living. It's natural. This is natural. Now I'm going to say a few things today that, that might invade your space. I want you to know I'm not on Facebook. I don't know what you're typing. I don't know how you live. I don't know what you've been talking about. For the most part, I haven't been in your homes. If I am in your homes, I usually stay in the living room. I'm not looking around. I'm not trying to find out what you're doing. I haven't seen your yard. I don't drive by people's houses. Got to say all this stuff because there's a lot of disclaimers here. Because we have to, we have, to have a change and we have to set some things in order. Now, I'm going to present things to you, and some 
of these things that I go through in the next several weeks, you might be a little resistant to. But if you'll just receive it and ask the Lord to help you, I promise you that the adjustment will help you in your whole life. Amen. Okay, good. So we're going we're gonna to talk about this natural uh, uh, way of living, the natural order of living. Um, if, if I'm teaching my son, I'm going to talk to him about the Lord. I will talk and I have spoken to all of my kids about the doctrine. I've taught them the doctrine for many, many years at our kitchen table. I've described the seven most important mountains in the Bible to my children. We memorized them. We talked about them. I quizzed them on those mountains. And we've talked about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the brothers of Joseph, Manasseh, Ephraim, the 12 tribes of Israel. I've described to my family all the spiritual implications of the fruit of the Spirit and the nine supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only thing that I've taught them. Amen. I've taught them about being clean. And I'm not talking about your heart. I'm talking about being clean. A clean room. A clean house. Cleaning up. Now, well, Pastor, what does that have to do with us serving God? It has a lot to do with your mind, your spirit, and the order of your life. When you're out of order, everything else cascades or everything else is a domino and, you're, and it affects the rest of your life. So I'm going to submit to you these practical, seven practical, um, natural aspects of putting your house in order. The next one, and we're going to go back over these, so I'm just going to give them to you and then we'll, until we'll, we'll just we'll kind of work on them. The next one is the uncluttered life. Number three is an inventory. <laughs> that's an interesting thing. Inventory, that's the knowledge of what you have. Do you know what you have? Did you just buy something that you already own, but you can't find it? How many tape measures do you think that are in your house right now? You know they're there, but you don't know where they are. How many sets of screwdrivers do you have? How many Phillips head screwdrivers do you actually need? How many hands do you have? <laughs> this is just the first lesson. Why is everybody... Okay. <laughs> the next one is an inventory... I'm sorry, a, 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 a next one is space. It's the, it's the place. Designated places in your home. Set your house in order. I'm going to challenge you tonight about your physical house. Because as I work through this, there, there are particular ramifications of a house out of order. It affects the way we think and the way we give or, the, or how we are able to give or to serve. When you live in a house that's out of order, you tend to treat everything else out of order. When you don't care for the natural things that you have, you don't have a great uh, uh, a deference. You don't have a, 
a, a desire to care for other things. Amen. When you don't mind, I'm, this is pretty practical, stains everywhere, dirt everywhere, grime everywhere. When you don't mind, when, when it's not a big deal to have big cobwebs and you've actually welcomed the spiders and named them as part of the family. You learn to live with that and then you transfer that acceptance or allowances into other places of life. And in some cases, it affects your walk with God. And in other cases, it affects where you worship. Now, it has been said by other religions, we know how you treat your God or what you think about your God by the way that you treat the place you worship your God. Now, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's too, you know, uh, too bland and, and maybe that's not deep for people. But, but many other religions believe that the place of your worship is an indication or the condition of your place of your worship is an indication of your honor and respect to your God. Well, how do we honor and respect our God? If you looked into the Old Testament, you'd find out that they honored their God and there was a direct correlation between the temple and the honor of the Lord. And, and, and the Hebrew people weren't the only, only ones that recognized that. All of the heathen nations recognized the same thing. So if 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 your house is in order, you'll treat the house of God in order. And I'm, not, I'm talking about the church building in order. Amen. So we have to talk about space, rooms. What's happening in those rooms? What takes place in that room? The next one is maintenance or how you maintain things. One of the first Bible lessons that I taught here at New Life 24 years, 23 years ago, was called vacuuming the brown carpet. You, it, who knows if it's even around, but it's a vacuum in the brown carpet. And, and in short, it means that we had brown carpet and it wasn't very good carpet when we first got married, but it was clean and it was vacuumed. We wanted the beige carpet. We really wanted the beige carpet. The beige carpet was expensive. We couldn't afford the beige carpet. But I didn't wait till we got the beige carpet before I vacuumed the brown carpet. I took care of the brown carpet like I, like I would want it to take care of the beige carpet. But if you don't take care of the brown carpet, chances are you'll never get to the beige carpet. If you do get the beige carpet, it'll turn brown. <laughs> oh, yes. Brother Tico has encouraged some of our young men and young ladies that if they ever need the, feel the need to buy a car, a new car, they should take $100 and get their car detailed. And the new smell and the clean car will keep them from buying a brand new one. Because it's maintenance. But what does that have to do with coming to church? It has everything to do with practical living. Practical living. The first of the seven is this natural, pragmatic way, practical living. And it has to do with maintaining what we have. And we treat it with honor. You treat the things that you have thankfully and with honor and don't despise it. It may not work very well, but it's yours. All right. Uh, I got two amens and it's okay because it don't really matter. When you get through with this, 
you're going to rearrange and make some adjustments. Then the number six is useful. There are many things in our homes that have no use and take up space. In fact, the more things we have, the more need for number four. And when things are, when things are not useful, number four expands until we have to rent buildings to house things that we don't have space for. Uh-huh. Because we're addicted to things, even though they're not useful. Right. I'm all up in someone's business right now, and it's okay. Number seven is routine. It's a routine. It's, it's things that we do over and over again that matter. If you get the wrong result doing the right thing, what do you do? Keep doing the right thing. We're not after the result. We're after doing the right thing. The routine of doing the right thing over and over and over again. I'm not doing something just for a particular outcome. I'm doing it because it's right. So our lifestyle, we have a lifestyle. And our lifestyle is, is a reflection of our faith. Our faith in God, the way we live. I want to encourage you tonight to do some spring cleaning in the fall. I want to encourage you tonight to go home and clean up your house. And, and I'm not talking spiritual. I'm not talking about throwing stuff away that's ungodly. I'm talking about cleaning the place where you live and putting things in order. Setting things in order. Now, I, the reason why I teach this is because I've been pastoring long enough to know that any little thing gets out of order and people miss church. They stop giving because something broke that, that didn't have to break. They buy things that they don't really need or they, they buy things they already have and they're out of order. And then the further of that is that they end up treating God like they treat their stuff. So clean. Pick up your rooms, your yards, your living rooms, and become uncluttered. Things need attention. And I venture to say that our lack of prayer, devotion to God, um, could be attributed to the time spent caring for stuff that cannot talk back to us. We say that we don't have gods and there's only one God and that's the only God we worship. But if the things that we have take up our attention and our time, we might not deem them as a God, but we treat them with the time that should be given to the Lord. Take an inventory of what you have in your life. You might have something that's valuable. You might have something that's not valuable, but you're keeping all of that. And it's, and it's cluttering up your life and your time. I will, I, what I'm, my, this first seven is, is a full out affront against the American culture, which is a consuming culture. And, and what I speak of is something that I, on a regular basis, live out. Because I want to declutter, I want to make sure things are clean. Now, I don't know how you study, I don't know how you do it. I cannot study in a cluttered room. 
I can't concentrate. Things have got to be in order. I went to school for six and a half years. I have a couple of pieces of paper on the wall. Spent a lot of money on them. And when I studied, I have to have things in order. Through my, through my what, maybe eight, ten years of Bible quizzing, I had to have things in order. I knew where my flashcards were, and every flashcard had a, had a scripture on it, the reference on the back. I had a stack of flashcards here, what I wanted to do, what I was going to do that day, what I was going to do in the next hour, what I was going to do in the next five minutes, and then the three cards that I had. And I would sit for two or three hours and, and be on a rocking chair, and I'd rock back and forth, and I would memorize the scripture. And the reason why I memorized those scriptures is because I had to have things in order. And that's why I memorized 5,000 verses between the ages of 12 and 18. Now, why am I telling you that? Because you need to know that you need to withdraw some things from your life, but you cannot withdraw something you've never deposited. You need the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Have we hid the word in our heart? Well, we don't have time. Why? Because we're caring for things that cannot talk back to us, that doesn't give us strength. And this is the, is the underlying unspoken spirit of the age that erupted in the industrial revolution that provides everything that we would ever want or need even though we don't want them or need them or desire them but they're there and then we have to have larger spaces to house things that we don't need and and now we have to care for It's going to get better and you'll like several of the other parts. But for right now, we have to talk about this. Because this is August and I'm reading um, uh, the investment groups are already noticing that there is a massive push inventory list for uh, Christmas. And people are now planning uh, what they're going to purchase for the holidays. We have gotten so out of control that we have, as American large, we've just passed the $1 trillion mark in credit card debt. And the credit cards now are between 18 and 24%. And so people will get trapped in a, in a, in a cycle. It's a, it's a, it's a um, infinite loop, if you will, never getting out of the credit card debt, paying for a, a $50 shirt seven or eight times before that credit card is paid off or a pair of shoes. And it's afflicting our churches. We have to give to missionaries. We need to give to missionaries. You could have a yard sale and give $1,000 to a missionary and probably not even really blink or miss the things that you sold in the yard sale. Amen. I'm feeling good about what I'm doing here right now. And I, and I know that this is going to help us. Now, you can be resistant to it, but there is something about being clean. Be clean. Have a clean lifestyle. Put your house in order. Get your things in order. Put your kitchen in order. Put your living room in order. Go to the bedrooms. Put your bedrooms in order. Buy a bookshelf. Put your books on your bookshelf. Pick up things off the floor. Live godly, live clean. Live right. It'll affect other parts of your life. When you sit down at your table, 
You, you shouldn't have to move everything off your table to put your Bible on your table. Figure out what you have. Make a list. Make an inventory list. Find out what's there. You see, over time, these things cloud the judgment of the people of God. And it's critical that we know that we are in a, in a, in a, in, in a constant war between flesh and spirit and the carnal mind. I'll, I'll give you this uh, uh, small uh, little biblical narrative. I, we did this in a recording last night, but I'll give this to you. It's called Corners. In, in the book of Leviticus, the Lord gave a commandment to the children of Israel. He said, don't, don't reap all the edges and don't reap the corners. And if you drop some grain or some sheaves of grain, let it be. You don't have to pick up everything. Gather what you have, but don't, don't reap the whole field. Leave the edges. Because there are poor people and there are needy people who are going to live off those corners. This was the law. Now, you've probably read that. If you've read your Bible every, each year, you've probably read that and never thought about it. One of those verses that, that, you, that you're quickly forgetting. But if you'll just go to the moment when there's a young family that leave the wonderful realm of God's people and they move to Moab, you'll find out that Naomi is going to lose her husband and her two sons. They're going to die. But before the sons died, they married two Moabite girls. And Naomi realizes, I got to get back home. I've got to go back home. And, and one of the daughter-in-laws, she stays in Moab, but Ruth goes with Naomi. So Naomi and Ruth go back home. But they're poor. They have nothing. They have no husbands to take care of them. They have no, they have no, they're in debt. They're in indebtedness. They have no food. They find a field and they start to follow the reapers of the field. And they start to pick up grain that's left in the corner. The field happens to belong to Boaz. And Boaz has been obedient to the law of God established way before his time in the book of, Le- of Leviticus. And from Boaz notices Ruth and, and they eventually marry and have a baby. And that baby has a baby and that baby has a baby. And Boaz and Ruth become the great grandparents of King David. There's a king in the corner for those people that don't consume everything. If we consume everything, we... We thwart the possibility of what God wants to do with the things that we don't consume. If you consume everything of your paycheck, you'll have nothing to give to the Lord and nothing to give in sacrificial offering and nothing to give to the, to the missionary. And the way not to consume everything is to make sure you have an inventory of the things that you have so that you're not replacing the things and maintaining the things and fixing the things that you have. One, one thing, one one of the great notable things that my father taught me that's had ripple effect throughout my life is that in his bottom drawer of his, of his stand-up dresser, the bottom drawer was filled with, with uh, buffing utensils and shoe shine and polishes and, and, and cloth rags. And if we ever wanted to shine our shoes, we would just go into dad's uh, bottom of his, of his drawer and open that thing. We could have all the colors of whatever shoe and we could, you know, we could shine our shoes. And the, one of the first things that I did when I, was, when I got married is I bought my own little shoe shine kit and started to shine the shoes. 
and and it's because uh, because I read uh, I think I read a Western novel. It said that uh, you know a good man by how he cares for his shoes and his horse. Um, I didn't have a horse, but I had shoes, and I'm I'm going to get one. I'm getting a horse this next month. I'm going to get a horse. Uh, something maybe. I'd like to get a horse. Um, I don't know where I put it, but but. But I, but I do have shoe shine kits. And that's the ma- maintenance of the shoes. Because if you polish the shoes, they last longer. Now, does that sound spiritual? I'll tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like people who care for the things that they have. Instead of throwing everything away, go and buying something brand new. And then come times when the missionary comes and say, Well, I'd really like to give you $50, but I don't have enough because I just bought a pair of shoes. Now, you, you do that a hundred different times in the, in, in, in the month, and then no, ma- no wonder why we, we're, we're raising up generations after generations that do not, they know the, the price of everything, but not the value of it. And I would, I'm, I'm teaching tonight to start with a very pragmatic thought, care for the things that we have. This is what we do in this building. We care for what we have. We care for it. Now, you may not mind... Uh, chocolate milk on your floor. You may not mind to have grape juice spilled on your carpet, but we mind. You, don't, you may not mind if Cheetos are smashed in the back seat of your car with a bunch of jelly bellies and three-year-old McDonald's french fries, but we mind. You may not mind. Oh. But the church minds. You may not mind leaving your clothes wherever you take them off or wherever you change, but we mind. We, we, my sister's closet, what are you talking about? My sister's closet. We, we got everything from my sister. I don't know if she meant to leave it here. And our brothers. So you think, well, Pastor, that just seems like we want to hear about the Lord. I'll tell you what the Lord wants to do. He wants us to take care of the things that he gives us and honor that. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Scotty and I were in the car, mom's car, and my mother said, honor this car, honor it. She named the car Bessie. And we thought that was so funny. You honor it. How do you honor it? You clean it. And you change the oil in it. And if you don't, and the motor dies, then you come crying and saying that the devil has been on your case and the devil destroyed your car. And it wasn't the devil at all. You have given the devil credit for your lack of attention because you thought the oil didn't need to be changed until it reached 100,000 miles. Care for your house. Set it in order. Set your house in order and it will help your brain function better. 1 Corinthians 10, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you're doing, do all to the glory of God. Live in your abode to the best of your ability. I was in, um, I, I, I was in Canada. I was in Canada and I went to, I, I rented a car and um, I got to the counter at, at the car rental place. And they said, well, well, Mr. Harper, we have this um, little car over here. And I said, well. I'm, I, I see a bunch of sports cars out there. And they said, well, would you like a sports car? I said, well, I don't want to pay extra money. And the guy behind the counter said, you know what? I'm, I'll get you a sports car. Same amount. I said, man, that's great. So he got me this two, two-door sports car. It was really fast. And, 
and it was the will of God. And, uh, and, 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 and I got in that sports car, and, and I wanted the black one, but someone had just taken the black one. When I got the white one, it's still souped up, and I just, I just, when I just got in it, I just revved the RPMs, and it just, and I was so happy. I knew, man, this is going to be the greatest revival I've ever preached in my life. And I got to the place where I was preaching, and there was mud everywhere, mud. There was a mud city, man. I just drove it. I'm like, oh, man, mud. Who, who can preach with mud on the side of their car? And I was just disturbed the whole time. And I just couldn't. I could hardly stand it. It's a rental, ladies and gentlemen. And now, what, I went, before I returned the car, I said, I cannot bring this car back with all this mud all the side. I can't even drive it. Every day I'm trying to find the car wash. And the car wash, I had to drive a long way to a car wash. And it was, it was a self-car wash. But it didn't matter to me. After the service was over, I took my tie, my suit coat off, and I scrubbed the car. Every day I pulled up, the car looked good. Every day I left, it looked bad. Because I just couldn't stand it. I just couldn't stand it. Now, follow me. I would say as I follow Christ, it's not really applicable, but, but follow me. It matters. It matters. Take care of the things you have. Keep them, maintain them, clean them. It matters. It matters to the next generation. Get accustomed to take care of the things that you can control. God will take care of the things you can't control. Don't let things just go to the wind and say, well, 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 it, it, it's all in God's hands. God put things in your hands and you should care for them. Amen. You should care for them. It's critical that we do that. Especially in these days when, you're, when your fuel prices are going to climb exponentially and you do not know where they're going to stop. Because there is no ceiling on your fuel prices. So make sure that you are maintaining the things that you have. And if you have too many things, get rid of it. You don't need a storage building or two or three. Why would you pay a monthly note, a bill for someone else to store the stuff that you don't use? One of the things that, that Tammy did early on, Roman was the first baby born in the church. And, and Tammy was pregnant and we were excited and, and um, uh, we're going to have a baby and, and the church was smaller. And, and I, you know, we, what, what did we know? We didn't know anything. You know, she's just wearing her clothes. And finally she said, you know, honey, I'm going to have to have something else. I, this is really getting out of hand. And so I'll never forget, we went to a place, a maternity store, and she bought a maternity shirt. It's real pretty. It was, a, it was a white maternity shirt. It cost $65. I remember that $65. I thought, man, this is really, you know, I didn't know. I thought baby clothes. I didn't know she had to have all this clothes too, but, you know. <clears throat> and then, you know, then the baby came and we had to have onesies and all this other stuff. And I mean, there was so much stuff. And, and you know, we had, we had diaper genies on every floor of the house and it didn't help. I mean, it was still, you know, you know it was still uh, fumigate. <laughs> and when all of that was over, she put it all in a big tub and the next lady in our church had a baby and we gave the tub and that same tub of clothes, baby clothes and maternity clothes had been passed around to our church for many years. And every once in a while, I would see one of the ladies that was in the family way wearing that $65 white maternity shirt 
blouse, and I would say to their husband, you owe me money for that. (laughs) And you know who you are. The bill is outstanding. That's how we're going to do it. I want to talk to you about culture. To care for one another. To not spend money frivolously. Because we have something we need to do. We need to be giving to the kingdom. And we need to be saving and not spending everything that we make. We need to make sure the things we have are useful. Because nostalgia will cost you a lot of money. Nostalgia has put people in big debt. Oh, no. No. Nostalgia, I'm going to press this button a little bit more. Nostalgia causes you to keep things and to care for things that are associated with a memory, but they are not the individual. They're just a memory. Amen. I just want to cover this last one before we move on to, to the next of seven, and it's routine. Routine can often seem mundane, but routine is the critical point of growth. It's routine. And, and I'm not talking, I'm not in the scripture yet. I'm not talking about reading your Bible. I'm talking about a routine of life to have a routine. We have traditions that we do like. We like celebrating certain holidays. We like Thanksgiving. We like a particular food on Thanksgiving. That's a routine. We, we, you know, I don't always eat um, all of that food uh, throughout the year. But on, on Thanksgiving Day, we like to celebrate with a particular dish or kind of foods. These are routines. Uh, routines um, are, are a birthday or a function of a birthday are what we like to do. A routine of life is perhaps when you get up or when you go to bed or what you do prior or before or after or in the day. These routines. Routines are akin to a discipline. A routine. So when we talk about disciplining yourself or your children, people automatically think, well, spanking them. I'm, I'm going to discipline my child. The real discipline is not, is not the corporal punishment. The real discipline is the routine. It's a discipline. The discipline of making your bed every day helps your brain and your mind to function. You've already had one win. If you get from one win to the next win, the next discipline will be that you're caring for the things that you have. The discipline, a routine. You ought to be in a routine so deep, it should be so deep that you have no trouble getting to the church when the church is open on those appropriate times. Because you don't have to think about it. In routine, we call it, this is in in the military and and, and I'm certain in in those law enforcement um, uh, journals would be called muscle memory. Muscle memory. That you would draw the gun or load the gun or, 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 or move in a certain way for defense or for aggression in a certain way. You don't have to think about it anymore. You've trained your muscles. If you are a cowboy and, and your opponent, bad guy, is going to shoot at you, you don't need to stop and think about his motives or his family background. You need to draw and fire without thinking. And routine creates a muscle memory. One of the things that, that I read about the Formula One uh, drivers, I didn't read about the NASCAR drivers, the Formula One drivers. I, I have a lot of things to say about NASCAR drivers, but none of it is really savory or, or helpful. 
and I'm sorry because I'll offend all of you. I found out that if I offend one of the NASCAR drivers and they start chasing me, all I have to do is turn right. What are you talking about? Okay, never mind. In the Formula One, those drivers have a distinct muscle memory of shifting, downshifting, gears, and turning. If they have to think about it, they've lost the race. We ought to automatically have a memory, a routine, so ingrained in us, we don't have to think about it. We know what we're going to do. We know where we're going to be. Now, now we can apply that spiritually, but I don't want to get there yet. I want to get just to this point. This is what I do. This is how I do it. And when I set that in order, I set my house in order. And when this first one is in order, this practical, pragmatic living is in order, it gives great confidence to your children and to your family and to your spouse. It'll give you confidence because you'll have things in order. Here's a great gift you can give to yourself. Set your house in order. And I'm not talking about your spiritual house. I'm talking about your junk drawer. How many junk drawers do you have? If every drawer is a junk drawer, and I think everyone needs one junk drawer. It's just a place where you throw stuff, you don't know where they go. It's the undesignated drawer. Where does that go? <laughs> if every drawer is a, is a catch-all, then you're out of order. Amen. Okay. All right. Well, we've spent sufficient time. But we're going to go back to it. Because this is how we're going to treat the house of God. And I hope that you treat the house of God like you treat your own home. But if you don't treat the house of God, if you don't treat your own home correctly, don't treat this place like that. Now I'm going to be a little strong here. This isn't the place for you to lounge. This isn't the place for you to have dinner while church is going on. If a guest comes in and they have a coffee in their hand and they're a guest, let them alone. They're okay. You let them alone. But this is home folk. I've, I've, I've said this multiple times about chewing gum in the sanctuary. And the reason why, it's not because I, don't, I want you to have bad breath. I, I want you to have good breath. I really do. I, I pray for that too. There's several prayers. We sell mints. <laughs> I, I want to have good breath. Even just for myself. <laughs> When I pray for someone and they fall over, I want it to be the Lord. I want it to be the unction of the Holy Spirit, not halitosis. Mm -hmm. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. The reason why we talk about chewing gum is because invariably someone sticks the gum somewhere or puts it on their shoe. In Singapore, you're not allowed to chew gum in the city of Singapore. You'll be arrested because they don't want their streets to turn with black dots. They don't want that because when you see black dots on the ground, what you're seeing is you're seeing caked in gum because it doesn't biodisintegrate. This is the greatest Bible study I've ever preached in my life. I love this. I I want to talk about this on Sunday. The reason why, not only does people look like a bunch of cows chewing their gum while I'm preaching, but gum invariably ends up in places that you did not suspect. And then we have to clean that. Now, you might do that at your home. You might, I know the old song, does your, 
chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight. It's an awesome sermon. And, you know, you stick the chewing gum there, and then in the morning you get it, you know, whatever. But this is the house of God. We want to maintain it and clean it. It costs a lot of money to do that. Now, you might say, well, well Pastor, you're, you're, you're saying that we should all be like you. Well, no, 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 no. I'm still striving. I'm not there yet. I'm not there. And it's a daily pursuit. And if we follow the pursuit, it will have spiritual implications in our life. Everything is connected. You might think you're compartmentalizing things, but you're not compartmentalizing. That is a very difficult thing to do. I work on compartmentalizing conversations. Because each conversation comes with its own set of emotions. But you have a difficult time to compartmentalize all of your life. People say, well, I leave my work, at, at, I leave my work in the office. Or I leave my work at the job. And I don't want to bring it home. But depending on what you're doing, it can invade your spirit and change the way you speak. Because it's hard to compartmentalize your life. So to say, well, we just live like that at home, but we're going to honor the church. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you'll raise children that don't honor the church. And you think that this doesn't matter, but it even affects our worship and our time with the Lord. Amen. Number two. (laughs) It's the emotional order or getting your emotions in order. Now we're on this still practical side, but we're now going to start veering off into some of the spiritual things. We need to know the difference between our wants and our needs. Man, the time is going so quickly. A want and our need. Most people have a huge need pile. It's massive, all the things that they need, and they have a very small want pile. Many, most people have this, how many things you need? Oh, I've got a hundred needs. How many things did you want? Oh, I just want two or three things. When in reality, we only need a, a few things, but we really want all of these things. And until we understand the difference between a want and a need, we will have a problem ordering our emotions. Set your house in order. Now we're internal. Set your house in order. Number two, it's contentment. And contentment, I don't know this. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I don't know this. I'm not sure... That contentment uh, in its purest form is completely achieved. Uh, I don't know that. Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Maybe you have achieved that purest contentment. But I will say there is a pursuit of contentment to be content. Let your conversation be without covetous and be content with such things as you have. Philippians 4 and 1, uh, 4 and 11. Not that I speak in respect of want... For I have learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content, to be content. Clarity and confusion are part of the ongoing struggle of the battlefield of your mind. And it's wrapped around contentment. To be content. We need to pray and then learn 
and trust God to be content with what we have. That doesn't mean you're not ambitious. It doesn't mean that, 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 you're, that you're satisfied. It doesn't mean you're not a hard worker. Let's work hard. That has nothing to, a hard worker has nothing to do with discontentment. And if you learn how to be content, it keeps us away from being covetousness and out of unnecessary debt. Everyone say this, unnecessary debt. Because some debts are created by, by uh, failed investments or medical uh, bills or something's unforeseen. A loved one uh, passes away and, and, and now we have to pick up the pieces. But there is something about unnecessary debt to be content with what you have. No one in this church is comparing lifestyles. We don't do that here. We don't compare lifestyles. It doesn't matter what you have or what someone else has. No one is in a race. No one is competitive. And if you are, you're out of order and you're not abiding by the culture of new life. It doesn't matter to me. I know what I like and you know what you like. You may not like what I like and I may not like what you like. But it's okay. That's your individual personality. But we're not going to compete. We're going to learn how to be content. And see, when you have people that are discontented, jealousy becomes the root. Jealousy springs up. And now words, attitudes, dispositions all spring up from jealousy. Why? Because you haven't learned how to be content. The third, the third note here, I'm, I'll help us maybe. I want to say pride, but I'm going to say dignity. <laughs> I want, to, I want to say pride, but we'll write dignity because it sounds better. But now let me just put it in, in our vernacular. Take pride in what you have. This means care for what has been given in your whole life. Manage the emotion that you have. If you have been offered a ministry and you're doing a ministry, do it to the best of your ability. If you've been given a gift of any kind, take pride, (laughs) care for it. If you think it's beneath you, you'll never attain where you want to go. Nothing is beneath you. Nothing. If you have a, if, if you, if you need further explanation of that, you have to go back a couple years and listen to the family business. Write it down, talk about the family business. Because in the family business, sometimes you're the cook, sometimes you're the busboy, sometimes you're the waiter, sometimes you're the host, sometimes you're the cleaner, sometimes you cut the grass, sometimes you wash the dishes because you're in the family business. If you're ever in a family business, you don't have an assigned specialty, you do whatever it takes to get the job done. Care, take some pride in what God has given you. Take, have dignity in where you are in your life. Amen. Because if you don't, your emotions get out of order and you get detached from what God has given you. And one of the worst things that can happen for the child of God is have an emotional response that, absent, that is absent from the view of the cross of Calvary who did everything for us and we did nothing for him. And when you figure out how far deity to dust is, then you can figure out how far he came to save you. 
He was made lower than the angels, the very creatures that he spoke into existence. And he came as a servant, came in the likeness of men. That means he did whatever it took to save your soul. We will do whatever it takes to work on the kingdom of God. Take, take some dignity. Here's number four. We have emotion. There's an emotion for stuff. I wanted to really bring materials down to a very benign and almost a base word, stuff. Just stuff. There's an emotion with things. People get very happy about things and get very sad about things. Got you a new truck, bought you a brand new car, rolled it off the parking lot, got home, and some Somebody drove their bicycle into it. Somebody scratched it. Put a big dent. All of a sudden you're crying. Now you're not crying about that if it's 15 years old. The older it gets, the more you say, it adds character. But when it's brand new, you have an emotion to it. And that emotion to stuff will damage your own life. And now you have an attachment Because loving things is a dangerous emotion. Love people. Don't love things. Putting things over people is not the plan of God for our life. (laughs) We have a shelf for things, but not for people. Amen. Um, Now, on the heels of, of me talking about caring for the for the house. We know that if you have a lot of children in a children's ministry, they're going to damage the walls. I am not happy about that, about kids uh, damaging things, but my parents have told me that I did something similar, so I'm, I'm bound to have mercy. And I've told our group years ago, we don't, I don't care if they damage the drywall. We have drywall mud. We have primer. We have paint. We're going to repaint that's right. We're going to repaint. We're not going to have a bad attitude. We're going, to, we're going to repaint because we'd rather have children and fix the problem because it's all about the people. Don't, don't start chewing gum. It's all about the people. <laughs> Publicious. No, I, this is not, I'm not giving you leeway. What I'm saying is that, is that we have to understand that the things are not nearly as important as the people. And, and, and we have to be careful because, because we are engrossed with stuff and we have an emotion to stuff. Walmart and Target and Amazon is selling you things, stuff. It's a deep emotion. And those emotions fill voids only temporarily. So we've got to handle our emotions to material objects. Amen. Now I, now I struggle with this. I struggle with it, but I'm working on it. Um, I don't like to ruin something or damage it or scuff it, but, um, but I have to detach myself emotionally from the thing. <laughs> All right. If you don't do that, then you'll wear a certain attire that you'll think in the back of your mind, I'm not going to worship tonight or dance because I got a new outfit on 
Cursed be the day that you wear clothes that you don't allow yourself to shout in. We rue the day where we wear something that inhibits our praise and our worship. You might say, well, pastor, I'm not exuberant. It would be that very day that the Lord will help you and the angels of God through my own prayer will pick you up and bounce you around this church or whatever. That's right. There's an emotion attached to things. Now that does not mean if you get, if the pit, listen, this Pendleton can, Pendleton, Pendleton can get so far out of balance that all of a sudden we think, well, nothing matters. Yes, it does matter. Be normal. Don't get so far out that you think that nothing of this matters. I just told you to shine your shoes. All right. Amen. So hopefully you'll have some balance here. Um, you know, some of the things that we're dealing with in, is, 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 is these things, uh, they're created by voids. Material objects are, are often purchased, held, you know, these wants are there to fill a void. And the void is an emotional void. Rejection. Men that have never been affirmed by a father or a man. A, a woman who was never treated carefully by her father or abuse. And so... Objects, things, stuff fill voids and their voids are left by rejection or a lack of love or no affection. Some uh, people are buying things to cover a disjointed relationship or a, or a marriage with all the love wrung out in it or a home that's incredibly dysfunctional. Young and old who feel like they're missing something often will try to fill that with a thing. So I caution you, we have to go to the Lord so that we're not enamored and have, have a great emotion for just things. The, the next word is lust. Lust. Lust comes in many ways. It's not just sexual lust. Although there is uh, uh, the, the greatest, uh, I suppose, correlation between sexual impropriety and lust. Large debt can indicate lust. Of the three main roots of sin, the lust of the eyes, speaks to acquiring something that we see. And this also is an emotion that's out of order. It is a response born of carnality to lust after it. A lust for power, a lust for, uh, a lust for position, a lust for an intangible thing to make us look better, a lust for a reputation uh, by which we did not build, but we, but we uh, promote or propagate, even though there's nothing behind it. Um, lust has a, a sweeping emotion wrapped around it. And so if you're going to have your house in order, you have to control and you have to subdue the lust of your flesh and the lust of your eyes. Amen. And the pride of your life. And before you, you, you qualify yourself and say, well, I don't have a lot of things and so I don't have lust, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. And then the next is money. It's money. Oh, money. This may be one of the most emotional aspects of the human experience. When Jesus was speaking about 
the masters. He did not say there's only two masters, God and the devil. He did not say that. He said, you're only going to serve one of two masters, God or money. So he would give a credence of creation that mankind was created by the creator and money was created by his own creation. So we have to command our money and be right with it. It may be practical, but you need a budget. How much money do you make? Do you know? How much money do you gross? How much money do you net? Even right now in your own mind, what do you have in your savings account? What do you have in your checking account? Don't look at your, your phone. <laughs> what are you planning on giving in a sacrificial offering to the missionary? What's, what's in your mind? Money. You have to command your money and be careful with it. If you don't take command of your money, it will take command of you. Yes. If you have more month at the end of your money, your money is out of control through your emotion. That's right. There is a gap. It's called a gap theory. The gap theory in Genesis is that God made the earth in six days, but it wasn't literal six days. It was maybe six billion or six trillion years. I do not believe in the gap theory of creation. I do not believe in it. But I do have another gap theory. It's the gap between what you make and what you spend. And it's not really a theory. It's more of a suggestion. The wider the gap, the better you're living. Because you can get a pay raise, you can, get a, you can get an increase, and you can get a bonus. But if you spend all of that, then you have no gap in between your income and your expenses. And if you don't control your emotion, by the time the ushers come and you're supposed to return your tithes and offering, and you don't have anything to give because you have blown everything through your uncontrolled and out-of-order emotion, then that's the moment you say, well, I'll just give up on God altogether. I've seen this happen many times because you didn't control your emotion. Spending is emotional. Spending and buying things has an emotional attachment. Money is emotional. Nobody wants to talk about money because all we hear from churches and preachers and televangelists is give me your money and, and, and if you'll give me your plan to seed offering. Here's the thing, plan to seed offering. I believe in planting seed offerings. I've planted many and the Lord has blessed me. I've given money to missionaries and the Lord has blessed me. I've given my entire paycheck to missionaries and the Lord has blessed me. I believe in seed offerings. But I also believe in constrained spending. And if I'm going to constrain my spending, I've got to have an emotional control over what comes into my hand. I'll offer this to you. You should get the book. Buy it. It might be $25. It's the best book you'll read on spending habits. It's from Dave Ramsey. And you should read... Dave Ramsey's book about money and do the baby steps and have a yard sale and go on a spending freeze. <laughs> yes, this, you know, okay. If you remove the emotion, you'll do so by dictating what you have and where it goes. If you don't have a budget, I hope all the young people and young adults are listening to me tonight. If you will have a budget, you'll be blessed. Even if you have very little money, you'll be blessed. Learn how to save and not spend. I was in the graduation ceremony 
for the first Life Academy graduates. There were three graduates. Sister Kendra was the main speaker. And she had several points to say to the graduates. And one of the points she said was, eat at home. If you want to be successful, eat at home. There's food at home. That was awesome. That was amazing. That was wonderful. We, we think we're fighting spiritual devils. We're not. Not all of them are devils or spiritual darkness. Some of it is just the accumulation of bad choices that have built up over time. We find them to be a mountain. They're not mountains. They are the accumulation of a lot of bad choices build up over time until they are an insurmountable thing that we have a tough time getting over. We created that devil. He's not spiritual. He is a devil, but he's not spiritual. Amen. Praise God. I, I, I would have gone a lot quicker, but, but I, I felt that you wanted me to stay on these points most of the night. And I'm almost done. And number seven... Number seven is just loss. Loss. Loss is a huge emotion. If anybody knows about loss, I can tell you I'm acquainted with loss. Loss is an emotion. Dealing with loss of intangible things, it's emotions. And I've got to deal with my emotions every day. Loss of people. Loss of time. Loss of energy. Loss of vision. Loss of something that I thought I had. Dealing with the emotion of, of things, well, I can, I can deal with that because things can be replaced. Attachment of a thing to a person or a memory, okay, I, maybe I can deal with that, but there are some losses, a drive, that, that deep depression, anxiety in my heart. I'm reminded of things through a smell or a fragrance or a blanket or a car or a song, I'm reminded of people, a loss. I had a, I had a, a, a godfather, and, um, and I, I, I went on a trip when I was real little with my godfather, and I'll never forget the song that was playing in the car, and it came on many times while we were driving on that long trip. And that, that, um, that loss of him uh, when he passed away, it affects me today. Uh, when I hear that song, uh, wherever I'm at, uh, it's an old, old song. When I hear it on the radio or wherever I'm standing, um, it reminds me of him and the loss. And if I don't manage that, it can, I can sink real deep into a quicksand and, and it affects my day. And you may not be like me. Some of, that, some of you just things roll off your, your back and, and it's not a problem. But, but humanity... Uh, has a deficit in its internal, maybe it's an inherent deficit of, of, the, of the mind and memory. And, and sometimes loss uh, creates regret and regret uh, keeps us from moving forward. It, 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 it binds us like chains and a mire around our ankles. Um, so you're going to have to deal with loss in your life and not let loss cripple you. You can't let loss thwart your walk with God or the vision or the calling of God in your life. You've got to keep on going. You've got you to get up the next day and you've got to pursue the Lord. Can't let loss stop your worship and stop what you're doing for God. You're going to have loss and <clears throat> some things you're never going to get back. <clears throat> some things you're not going to recover from. 
It's just going to be lost. You're going to lose, lose some things. But you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to march and praise God and thank God. Don't die with every crisis. You're going to have a crisis, but don't die. Don't lay down and say it's over. You're going to have some suffering in your life, but, but you're going to have to manage that emotion and say, listen, I'm in this temporal life. There's coming a day. And when the day comes, you're going to wear a crown of glory. You're going to be robed in a, in, a, in, a, in a garment that the Lord is going to give you. You're going to have a brand new body. There's not going to be any sickness, no death. There's not going to be no disease and no tears. There'll be no bills, no insurance payments, no medical things in your body. You're going somewhere. You're going to have loss in this life. You're going to have a loss of a loved one. But you're going to have to get back up and say, listen, I, lo- I loved them. I thank God for my loved one. I thank God for my friend. I lost some friends along the way. I've lost some friends to, to, to worldly lifestyles. They'll say that they're, they're still believers, but they left holiness and they left godliness. And it's a pain in my heart. Some of you will never know the people that I've lost in my life. I had to take a stand. You don't know them because I can't bring them here to sing or to, or, or, or to preach on this platform. You'll never know them because they don't uphold the things that I believe. They don't believe in the things they once believed in. So you don't know them or how talented that they are or how powerful they are or how impactful they are and it's a loss to me and I feel the loss for you because I wish that you could have experienced all the gifts that God gave them it's a loss for us but I cannot stop at the loss I cannot die in that moment I've got to get up and say listen I've lost some things along the way but God's going to provide another singer and another song and another talent and another gifting if we don't manage, if we don't, if we don't get our emotional heart in order, it will destroy us. And all of a sudden, we'll lash out at people that we love. We'll be critical of things that we ought not be critical. We'll stop, be th- we'll stop being thankful for the things that God has given us. We'll find fault with all kinds of things because we didn't learn how to manage our emotions for all these things. I would say, get your emotion and your house of your emotion in order and say, I'm fixed on the Lord. I love God. I have a routine. I'm coming in to worship the Lord. I got a muscle memory. When I feel the presence of God, my hands go up. I have a muscle memory. When I hear the goodness of the Lord, I shout out, praise you, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. You should have a memory inside of you that says, I know that I can wallow in this mess. And I know that I I can't recover everything, but I'm not going to die in that. I'm going to get up and I'm going to march forward and I'm going to live for God. If I died with every loss, I'd be a miserable pastor and we would have a miserable church and I'd have no joy. But I refuse to die with every crisis and everything. I won't live in regret. I have some regrets, but I'm not going to live there. I have some things I wish I could have redone. Things I wouldn't have said. I would have taken them back. If I could do it, I'd, I'd, I'd give all my money and all my things to take back some of the words that I said. But I can't do it now. But I'm not going to wallow in that. I'm not going to live in that regret. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to give God praise. And I'm going to do better today than I did yesterday. I'm going to get my house in order. I'm going to get my mind in order. I'm going to get my heart in order. I'm going to get my things in order. I'm going to get my emotions in order. And I'm going to give God praise. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in on Sunday and I'm going to shout like I've never shouted before. I'm going to come in on Wednesday and I'm going to take notes and learn. I'm going to to absorb. I'm going to lift my hands and worship God no matter what I feel like. Amen. Come on, stand and worship the Lord with me and just exalt his name with me now. 
committed now. We're going to get some things in order in our life. We've got to have order in our, we're going to set our world and our emotions and our mind and our things in order. You ought to pray right now that the Lord will help you with everything that you've heard and pray that God would, would help you pursue and to conquer some things in your life. In the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I pray over you tonight. I pray the Lord's help over your mind and your heart, your spirit. I pray that you would go home and you would start making some adjustments in your own home, in your living rooms, in your bedrooms, in your kitchens. I pray, right, don't, don't pass it off. Don't brush it off. Don't think it's not for you. It's for you. It's for your life. It's for your family. Some of those things you've got in your home, you don't think that they're sinful, but they are weights and they're weighing you down and they're costing you time and you need to spend some time with the Lord in prayer and in Bible study and loving God. Amen. You ought not have things in your life that cost you your worship on Sunday. You ought not have things in your life that's costing you time and your prayer. You ought not say, I'd like to go to the Bible study, but I can't go because I got too much to do inside my home. Amen. Amen. Amen.